You're listening to episode 42 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. I'm your host, Eli, and I am flying solo again today. Andrew has taken a vow of silence. No, (laughs) not really. Really, not really. (laughs) Definitely not. No, Uh, takes one to know one, as they say. But we are going to do something that we have never done before. Today, we're going to do a re-release, what we like to call working smarter, not harder. So it's occurred to us that, you know, it's possible that not every single listener has listened to every single episode. Possibly. It's taken me a long time to come to that. But it's true. And so we wanted to uh, just dip back into the, the way back machine and pull out one of our most popular episodes from two calendar years ago. Episode 7 from 2017, which is awesome, called Meat and Tea. That's right, Shashlik and Chai, two of the most uh, beloved Russian pastimes. It is spring here in Russia, after all. You may not have known this, but in Russia, spring begins on March 1st, every year. And... uh, That was a few days ago. Today is Tuesday, March 5th. Spring came in on the 1st. We don't do, you know, equinoxes and things here. So shashlik season is just around the corner, even though it snowed uh, at least twice last week in spring. But that's what spring is all about. So why, you may be asking, is this release coming on Tuesday, March 5th? I'm so glad you did. Basically, we've been doing some thinking and wanted to shift things up a little bit. We used to release on the 1st and 15th of every month, which really gratified my kind of perfectionistic streak of looking down that table of date releases, though, of course, it was really never that beautiful because my perfectionistic streak only goes so far and not all the releases were exactly on time. But it turns out that most of you guys listen mostly on Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. And so we're going to align our release with that. So first and third Tuesdays of every month, you can expect to hear from us. It's the new, the new wave. And it's also how the smart professional people do it. Except for the months, it turns out there are three Tuesdays, like April, which who knew that was coming? So we'll then have that extra Tuesday to deal with before May. Don't you worry, you can just be sure you'll hear from us twice a month with quality, positive content from the North Caucasus. It might be three Mondays in April. Anyway, without further ado, from the Wayback Machine here is for your listening pleasure, Episode 7, Meat and Tea. Welcome to Episode 7 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. 
I'm Andrew. I'm Eli. And we are your hosts. <laughs> Andrew has a call today. <laughs> you just you cut straight to the to it, huh? <laughs> uh, in case you can't tell, I've got a little cold. This this is really ironic, Eli. I'm sure you can give me some insight here, but it was probably 95 yesterday. 95 easily degrees. Celsius. That would be like 35, 35, 35 plus. 36. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have a cold. How does that work? I Hot would, weather, cold. I would blame it on barometric pressure. Okay. Barometric pressure. and That helps. It does. It clears it up for me. Good. Unfortunately, it doesn't clear you up. No, when, when new weather, because it dropped 20 degrees today. Yeah, it's actually, today it's a little cooler and very windy. It feels great. So sometimes when there's an abrupt change in weather, people's bones ache and, you know, Birds fly backwards and stuff like that. Got it. So could uh, could be okay. So listeners, we're just warning you up front here. My voice is going to be cracking. Apologizing in advance, but still going to have a great show for you. It's not puberty. The show must go on. Uh, that's right. Um, so hey, we're excited. This is episode seven. We have been blazing along. I feel like we have great momentum here at the start of our show. As I've said, episode seven is, it's the, um, it's the turning point. What's the term for it that we're all podcasts? The pod stop? fade. The pod fade. Pod fade. Okay. Yeah. We are pod fade allergic. Okay. I've, I've listened, I listened to a podcast about uh, startup businesses and entrepreneurs, and there's this phase where the the uh, investment running startup capital runs out yeah, and they're just having a hard time getting momentum with their business. They call it the trough of sorrow Ooh, where the entrepreneurs mm. just can't feel like they're never going to get out of that stage. So the trough of sorrow. That yes. sounds like pilgrim's progress yeah, or some like very Milton. formal and intense. Yes, man. But, uh, well, we, I don't, I don't think we're, we're nowhere near the trough of sorrow. And we've blazed through the pod fade. We're on the ascent of success. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> that's also when like your initial energy for a project might fade. Yeah. There could be a yeah, fade I get that, there. For sure. But I feel no fade. Yeah, so things are going great. Um, listeners, thanks for sticking with us so far. Hopefully our listeners are increasing as each episode goes. But yeah, we hope you've been learning a lot about about Russia, about this region, the North Caucasus, um, about the culture, history, tourism possibilities here. We've, we have been thoroughly enjoying ourselves doing this. And I think learning, definitely. Yeah, a ton. This is like a lot of things when you, you, know, you commit yourself to something that you love because you know that you're going to actually find things there you didn't know before. So here we are. Yeah. All right. So let's just jump right into it here. What's our topic today, Andrew? Our topic today. So... Listeners, I'm just going to be honest. We are pre-recording this episode, and before the launch, before like it's not the week of. We've tried. We've been trying to get our give ourselves a little bit of margin because we have children, and we don't each of us in our families figuring it out as we go. Um, So yesterday was July Fourth. Oh, you date stamped it again. I did. I I date stamped it. Believe it. it. All right. All right. I'm not sure when this is going to be released, but yesterday was July (laughs) Fourth, September. (laughs) <laughs> so we're Americans and we celebrate July 4th that's our day of independence independence day um, and we kind of did like a combination of 
American style celebration and Russian slash Caucasus style of celebration. I'll say. And it got me thinking about like national foods. Eli, why don't you just go ahead and tell our listeners? I'm sure we have listeners right now who are either from Russia or maybe Europe or other parts of the world who aren't from America. What do Americans do on July 4th? How do we celebrate that holiday? Specifically, like the kind of food we eat. All right. It's pretty straightforward. Yes. You've got your hamburgers and hot dogs. Yep. With the store bought brioche buns. They're not even brioche. They're like, or the potato bread ones are the best. Ooh, I mean, just, they're good. just soft as a Nebraska baby's, baby's bottom. bottom, as what's that guy's some <laughs> author wrote that. All right. And uh, yeah, we grill, and it's like, you know, the man pride comes out. That's the, like the man puts on his grilling apron, that's right. and he goes out to his grill, you know, and uses about three quarts of lighter fluid, you know. <laughs> sets off a small mushroom cloud and grills this. And we got those. You've got typical sides, potato salad, coleslaw. Um, And then you must, it is, Russian words are coming to mind. You have to have the uh, watermelon. Yes. Trays of watermelon. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lemonade. But yeah, you're right. Like burgers and dogs. Burgers and dogs. Long answer to a short question. We grill out on July 4th in America. Um, and so, chill out. Yeah. Uh, here is their, its own version of grilling out. And, you know, I've been asked often by my friends in America, what do y'all eat over there? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Just eat freeze-dried astronaut food from yeah. the U.S. Obviously, every place in the world kind of has their own specific kind of food and oh. You could say national cuisine or national foods. So we're going to talk today specifically about two things that if you've been to Russia, and especially if you've been to the Caucasus, you've probably tried them. And if you live here, you try them a lot. Uh, and this Part of your DNA. Yeah, it really gives you kind of a, an insider's view of what it's like here. Yeah, because it's more than just food. Um, Always. So let's talk first. Uh, Eli, I want to quiz you a little bit. I love quiz, putting them on the spot. Quizzical quandaries. Like when you think of national cuisines, like when you just think of around the world, different countries, mm-hmm. what foods they're famous for, just top, top of your head, what comes to mind? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is curry from India. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> spicy food from India. Okay. Big piles of spicy food from uh, spicy rice with curry on top. Uh, okay. Spicy curry. Um, yeah, I think of um, some of my favorite national cuisines would definitely include uh, pad thai from Thailand. Okay. Uh, embarrassed myself asking for chopsticks at a Thai restaurant, and the lady very sweetly came and brought them to me. She said, they don't we do don't, that? We don't really use these and left them at the table. <laughs> I didn't know that. It's like, hang your head. <laughs> I'm terrible with chopsticks, so I would never have asked that question. Yeah, um, yeah I go to, you know, Frog's legs and escargot for France. Okay. Quiche, quiche Lorraine, mm-hmm. French. I didn't even think of that. Bratwurst okay. uh, for German. Yeah. Yes, I found um, a German kielbasa, branch kielbasa. in the U.S. called currywurst. It's a it's a chain and a type of of curried. Brat. Anyway, that's a separate story. Yeah. Uh, probably some kind of like meat pie for England or okay. meat pudding, pudding or pie. And uh, yeah, when I think of Latin America, I think of a lot of grilled meat and yeah. Um, some yeah, more spicy Taco Bell. No, no, and I'm not even going <laughs> to dignify that with a response. Dignify I have my own. Me. I I could go on a tirade against the old 
Taco Bell. I so I love you, Paul Schneider. But. I had some of your I had some of your responses. I also I immediately think of Italy with like pizza and pasta. Yeah. Um, and then of that. course you know we're from America and America just is a very diverse place. Lots of um, nationalities from all over the world, and so the cuisine there is very international. People here always ask me what is American food like, and I mean. My wife and I, our most common answer is Americans eat all kinds of food. We often say Mexican food is our favorite American food. <laughs> yeah, and we Americanize, you know. So yeah. I was going to say Chinese, but I honestly don't know what actual Chinese cuisine is like because American huh. Chinese food is a, is a beast unto itself. And if yeah. you show a Chinese person what we eat, they're like, oh, I've never heard of that. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> like, who's general? I mean, general. I also want to include Fufu from West Africa, uh-huh. uh, which many people are going to be like, Fu what? But um, my West African friends are, you know, or Eba. I mean, they know. there's, Af- And it's, okay. I don't want to leave them out. I, you know, it's a yeah. cuisine, man. Now, how about Russian food? Definitely Americans have in their mind a couple specific things that Russians eat. The borscht. The borscht. That's definitely number one. That's number one. Beet soup. Soup made of beets. That might be number the first and the last. And uh, listeners, I just want to say, I know a lot of you have never tried borscht, and it may sound disgusting. Oh, no. Soup made of beets, it is so good. No, no. It It looks purple. It is purple, usually. Purple or red? Beets are purple or red. It is, it is so good. Beet soup is so good. So yeah, borscht is a Russian, national Russian dish. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, most, most Americans, if you would ask them, what do Russians eat? They would say borscht and they drink vodka. That's what they would say, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So we're here to like take you in a little deeper than that today. And you know, honestly, <laughs> Russians joke about this too. They know that's a stereotype. Um, oh, stereotypes come from somewhere. Yeah, it's true. Which we're going to talk about that also in a future episode. Um, but yeah, so specifically getting back to grilling out in America, in Russia, and really strongly here in the North Caucasus, there is a local version of grilling out, and that is called shashlik. Shashlik! Shashlik. Now, uh, you've probably never heard that word before. It means tr- shish kebabs. Ah, uh, is it related to the word shish kebab? Shashlik kebab. Um, I actually did read some about the etymology, the origin, um, but I don't remember <laughs> that detailed. Um, I'll look it up. But yeah, shashlik is shish kebabs, meat on skewers that you grill or you could fry it. Um, but that is a big deal here. That is the Caucasus version of grilling out. Oh man, I honestly I think it goes de- in some ways it goes deeper than than our grilling out because we grill out. It goes way deeper. It goes way deeper. It's like there's so much soul involved in shashlik. It is much so much more of an event than yes. a food. Yes. Um. Go on. I, yeah. I know you're gonna take so, us there. Uh, that's a really good lead-in. I found a definition of shashlik from online, and it was in a dictionary for English speakers to help you understand Russian slang better. So this definition is kind of spiced a little bit with humor, but it's very, it's very good lead-in to what we're going to talk about. So shashlik is defined as more than a food. This <laughs> Caucasian version of shish kebab brings with it a whole tradition of going out to the forest, building a fire, cooking up the marinated meat, washing it down with vodka, 
playing guitar, and having good drunken fun. Now, wow, yeah, like that's taking it to the extreme, but you get the, you definitely get the vibe here that, like Eli said, it's an entire experience. Right, shushleek. It's, it's not just the food. like if you got shushleek in a bag and you were sent off like to school with it, it wouldn't be shushleek. Yeah, like very often here when you're talking with a friend, uh, somebody from the Caucasus, and especially in the summer, like this is the time where people are doing shushleek all the time. Your friend will say to you, "You've got to come to the mountains. You got to come to my house in the summer, and we'll do shushleek together." Yes, they don't just mean we will eat meat together. No. It's true. It means so much when they say we'll do shashlik. There is together. literally like a liturgy to shashlik. I mean, there is a beginning, middle, and end. You know, yeah. there's the like the rising action. I mean, I'm now thinking of how I could probably write a PhD project on like the meaning. I'm just thinking about shashlik we did a few weeks ago, and it took hours. Yes, and it was the whole point. Yep. You know, amazing. Yeah. So a little about the history of shashlik. Um, shashlik has been around a really long time, uh, obviously more than hundreds of years. As have meat and fire. But geographically, <laughs> since the beginning of meat and fire, there has been shashlik. Um, but it, shashlik is, these shish kebab meat dishes are very popular all over, basically all up and down the equator line is the best way to say it. Huh. Yeah, like from North Africa, so Morocco, Tunisia, follow that into Turkey, Greece, Eastern Europe, Middle East, Caucasus, into Central Asia. And then you can take it up north. It's expanded north and south from there. So it's really popular up in Russia and Ukraine, Ukraine really anybody in the for, anywhere in the former Soviet Union now. Now, has anyone traced it back to its origins? I mean, like... That's the ancient world and its reach, you know. Yeah. The I, word I shashlik, what I remember, it comes from an Iranian word named shishlak, shishlak, which is like Iranian. a baby lamb. A baby lamb. I, yeah. It was Adam and Eve's first pet huh. named shashlik. shishlak. Ever since then. <laughs> People, all right. Yeah. Um, it means so baby lamb. It's really, we're kind of right in the middle of that world where shashlik is just a big deal. I've often had my friends in America ask me, like, what do friends do for fun there in the summer? What do mm-hmm. people do? And if you translate it literally from Russian, my answer is, oh, we go to the woods and grow shish kebabs. Right. And they're like, what? You go to the woods? <laughs> but that's what, you would, that's what Russians say. And that's what Caucasus people say. And so we're going to really break that down for you, the shashlik experience today. Let's do it. Okay, so let's just look at it. We're going to compare step-by-step the American grilling out experience versus the Caucasus shashlik experience. Oh, I like it. All right. So number one, where do Americans typically grill out? Yard. Backyard, right? Backyard. Maybe the back porch, back deck. You know, there, and it's funny because you have public grills in yes, parks. And I right. know people who use them. But for me growing up, those were always like, if you are like lost and happened to, I mean, the circumstances yeah. in which I would have sought out to use those are really rare. Now, some people love right. that, but no, they people do use them. But I always ha- had this hunch or feeling like they must have used those in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, but- right. <laughs> Back then, come on. <laughs> yeah, so right, the the grill in America is right outside, basically your back door, and it's in your backyard. 
Um, where do in the Caucasus where do people do shashlik? Now there are public grills you can do it at, but people either make a little fire pit out in the woods, and yep. the woods doesn't have to be very far. We're talking like a two minute walk off of a road yep. into the woods, and no, we're talking like a two meter walk off the road in some cases. You can drive in the countryside, yep. and you've got the full boar shashlik thing right. happening right next to the road. Like they're in yeah. the middle of the wilderness. Yeah, I mean there there is really no rules for where you do it. You can pretty much do it anywhere in nature. I first saw shashlik being done like on a warm day in March, huh. and it was like up the alley here, and it was literally right behind a guy's house, and they were just like making a fire, and you could tell yeah. they could not wait. So yeah, it takes a lot more work to get there, is what you're saying. I'm saying it's than the back porch. It's it, yeah, it's not designed for convenience. Okay. How about, what is the equipment you use to grill out in America? So, the grill is a surface in America. You know, yes. you've got the grate, and that's really essential to it because you're laying everything on it. And that's sometimes right. if you've got a, a, you know, a, a gas grill and you've got the, the little baskets that hang or whatever, you can yes. do different temperatures. Very convenient. But, yeah, but you're laying <laughs> out your flat burgers, your dogs, and then you either use tongs or a big metal spatula, and you flip them. And then you put them on a plate. And where's the heat coming from in these grills? Below from gas or from yeah. or from coals. It's like all kind of all inclusive yeah. meat cooking equipment. Quite convenient. What about what about shashlik? What is the equipment for shashlik? So if I could you use I'm gonna say skewers and everyone listening not everybody if you if you're not familiar with you're gonna think of uh, like a, a nar- like a round rod, a thin round rod, like a yes. big needle is what you're gonna think. You need to think, um, I don't know what to compare it to. It's a big, flat skewer. It's kind of like a really big, sturdy tent stake. Yeah, (laughs) like a flat tent stake. So it's it's a half inch wide and a couple millimeters thick. And if I could convey to you the number of stores that sell these at the checkout, it's like bubble gum. I mean, it's like you always are in need <laughs> of shashlik skewers. Skewers. Yeah. They are everywhere. Yeah. So you've got your skewers, and they range you know, from a foot and a half to two and a half, big ones. Yeah, there's long and smaller ones. Yeah, yep. and then you've got, and it's got the curled handle. Um, but you can get a grill type thing, which is like a clamp. It's got two grates that, that clamp together. You can get, Coleman does a similar kind of and thing. Let us, let us clarify. When he says grill, he doesn't mean it's something you that comes with like gas to cook it it's just oh, something no, no, that no, holds no. the meat in just the metal grate that yes. clamps the meat and then you got wood i mean that's basically and it. fire i, I mean, mean you go you're get, talking yeah. about equipment you gotta buy it's just the skewers it's the skewers and possibly that meat net but yeah mm-hmm. yeah so very basic Filling chicken yeah yeah so pretty different from like the gas grill in america yeah and you know i was always kind of insecure about this because <laughs> i don't have much experience grilling i never owned my own grill in america um, I have grilled some, but not much. But I've been learning how to do shashlik here. This year, I've gotten a lot of experience and like, kind of becoming more secure in my manhood. Almost, you could say. <laughs> I don't know. There's something. There's something deep and tribal there. Good word. I know. I honestly would love to see like at what age boys start doing their own shashlik because I've seen teenagers yeah. do it. Yep. You know, you know, is is it a rite of passage? Is it coming? It's like when I first car- carved my first like Thanksgiving turkey. Uh-huh. I felt like I was a man. I still haven't done that. 
Uh, interesting huh. little boy. <laughs> I will teach you the ways. All right, so skewers and a meat grill net, but very basic equipment. How about how many people are participating in American grilling, specifically the meat cooking part? A din, one. Yeah. You've got like, yeah, you've got the- It's like the, the grill master. The grill master. There's a whole thing there, isn't there? And usually like, oh yeah. I mean, I always think, and at least in my experience, my mom would prep, prep the meat, but your my dad. dad would grill it. Yep. Yeah. That's probably pretty common, right, in America? I think I've seen that a lot. But yeah, yeah you, you talk like, are you, do you want to grill a meat? Do you want me to? Yeah, like it's one not, or the other. There's not like a group of men like standing around the grill. No, and it's funny because it's sort of like this little reverence, like the one guy goes off, solitary yes. battle with the meat. The rest of us stand around and chatter and like look over at him like, all right, is that ready yet? Yeah, interesting. Sometimes he comes back to our world. I kind of read a book on this, dude. Yeah. Future, this could be your second <laughs> PhD. How about. Uh, how many people are involved in the shashlik process? Manifold. It's a team effort. Isn't uh, yeah, it? you have much more experience than I do, but it's there's many hands make light work in yeah in the shashlik thing. And you know, I w- in general, I'm assuming this is correct. This is a stereotype, but in most parts of the world, women do most of the cooking, and that's the same here in the Caucasus. But shashlik is one of those things often men will do from the very beginning of the process to the very end. They'll prep the meat, they'll cut it, they'll mar- marinate it, and then, of course, they'll cook it. Um, how, how frequently do you think the men actually procure the meat, either hunt it, like kill it? Ah, that's probably less rare. Oh, but you know, lots of people have their own animals. That's what I mean. It's, oh, as far as they'll slaughter the lamb. Yeah, or something. like I wonder if the men do actual slaughtering, and then it's sort of just a Definitely. natural progression to I, I'm ready to eat this, so just yeah. let me do this. That's a good. <laughs> I want, I'm going to ask some of my friends that. PhD. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I have a funny analogy for this. In America, when you get a bunch of guys together to move somebody, like with a moving truck, uh-huh. have you listeners? Have you ever experienced this? I'm sure you have. Where. People, the guys are trying to figure out how to pack the moving truck. And every single guy has an opinion about the best way to do it. Well, it's because my way is the best. Yes, that's right. I, I, I've seen this countless times. And yes, it's funny. That's kind of how it is with Shashlik here. <laughs> like every Caucasus guy knows the best way to do no, it. No, 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 no. You don't want to put the meat on that way. <laughs> no, you got to alternate them. Uh huh. Yeah. How to build the fire the oh, right way? Yeah, the fire, everything about it. Um, but it's kind of co- like collegi- collegial, and but and they all do it great and spirited. Yeah, but like you know, in English we would say too many chefs in the kitchen, and when men are doing shashlik Boiled in the Caucasus, that's where that applies for sure. Too many, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So good. Okay, so team effort. Um, how about how long does it take to grill out to the actual? grilling out process in America. And I'm telling you, when you involve, you know, a Costco type thing in this, we have really streamlined our grilling. Yes. The buns are there, the meat's there, and it's like waiting, I would say, is a necessary evil when when food is involved yes. in America. Um and so you want it done, but you want it done, you know, pretty much as, as soon as it can be. And we That's have right. humongous grills to that have a massive capacity and yeah, that's right. We can get a lot of food on there at once and cook it really fast. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. So yeah, probably the the meat cooking process. What do you think? Hour to oh, two most in America. Yeah. Oh no, the cooking much less. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, I maybe think, an hour, depending on how much meat. Depending on the meat and how much yeah. you're trying to do, but I mean, okay. we've got dogs or pre-made burgers. That's a 20, 30 minute. We have hot, hot dogs. He's referring to, and we dogs. have dogs Thank like you. the pets too. I, I do have friends who eat dogs. I have eaten dog. <laughs> I'd love to tell about it. They don't do shashlik out of dog here. Yeah, it was not here that I ate dog. (laughs) Okay, so how long does this process take take to do shashlik in the Caucasus? Like I said, I've gone, I've gone once on an empty stomach, ne'er shall I make that mistake again. (laughs) I mean, no one is in a hurry. It definitely took two hours, I think, the last time I did it, before the first meat is kind of up. Oh, yeah, and I would say that would be at a, minimum especially you know if you're cooking with coal then you can get the meat on there faster if you're building if your coals are going to be the sticks that you build the fire out of it takes a lot longer so you're talking from the, the from the making of I'm the talking fire from the starting of the process yeah yeah like okay. in america you just fire that grill up fire the gas the is up. going you can immediately throw the meat and on. i remember when as a child we had like the black round you know Yes. UFO saucer grill with charcoal a little three grills. hole thing yes. on top. And my dad had, you know, and you got briquettes, charcoal briquettes, uh-huh. which they don't have briquettes here. Yeah. And you would, you would put them in, there's a little like metal column. Have you ever seen this? Yes. And you, and it gets the briquettes going That's right. more efficiently. And then you dump them out. I remember it just seemed like that took ages. But here we're talking just, you got to get charcoal from wood. So you got to get your fire. It's yellow flame. It's going for a long time. And then it quiets down, turns white. And there's, you know, yeah. Or you can get actual charcoal, which is like, it's in the shape of wood, yes. but it's just been turned into Yeah, charcoal. I've not seen briquettes here. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's no, a good point you make. Briquettes are for um, <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, I mean, so again, this is where we come back to the experience. Grilling out in America, of course, like it's a part, it's a small part of the bigger experience. Usually if you're grilling out, you're having fun. You know, July 4th, people are partying and enjoying each other's presence. There might be like, um, wow, I'm forgetting. What's He's that game where you're tossing long. the bags? Oh, the whole cornhole, 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 cornhole or Lord. whatever. I've been in Russia too long. Um, but yeah, here, the entire process is the part of the experience. Yeah, definitely. So let, let's talk it through here. Uh, you do all the meat prep. Yep. You can do it the night before or that yep. morning. You marinate it. Yep. You pack everything up, take it out to the woods. If you're using coal, you can get the fire pretty started with the coal, pre- started pretty quickly with the coal. But if you don't have coal, you got to gather all the wood, you got to build a roaring fire, and then wait for the, the sticks the firewood to become the coals. Yep. So the fire is a big part of the process. I mean, that's how we did it with the guys that when we went out earlier in the May, summer. May, year and a half was, or a month and a half ago. A month and a half ago, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, and then at that point, the meat goes on the skewers and you start cooking it. And then, but still it takes a while to cook all that meat because you have limited space, limited skewers. And you got limited heat. That's right. You've got to kind of keep, I mean, there's a whole fire tending thing, which, to me, it's like this source of anxiety. I'm sitting there whole time like, is this going to burn out? What happens? Gonna... I feel like I should be doing something. I know. Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a, this entire experience, um, and it takes, I think it takes at a minimum, you, you cannot do, do shashlik in less than three hours. Okay. The whole process. Three hours. That's but our... honestly, probably average is more like four to six. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's a full... Full day outdoor experience. Yeah. It's really awesome. 
Um, so yeah, very, just very different than grilling out. And then the last, what do we grill out in America? What would you say are the main meats we grill? In Hot America? dogs and hamburgers. Yeah. So beef. I mean, every now and then burgers. for flair, someone will have chicken. That's right. But chicken is, you know, it's got salmonella, you got a kibikal, and sort of yeah. a touchier meat than the other ones. No, I mean, or or a really classy, like uh, more of a German brat type thing. Brats could be very, very classy. Could be steaks. Oh, but well, you have better friends. Not that's better. The highest class. I got to edit that out. I have one couple. that I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, of course in America, pork barbecue is very popular, but that is like a separate kind of cooking. Like a pig roast? That, is I mean, it that's, pork, pork that's, barbecue? You can grill out and have barbecue, but yeah, you got to do pulled pork like oh, in a smoker pork. or something. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah. Different kind That's of That's its own thing. All right. So what do they mainly grill here? How do they do shashlik out of what here? Yeah, lamb. lamb so here's a big difference. Lamb is the big meat. In lamb the is the big meat. Yeah. Especially if shashlik means little lamb. That's right. Mary had a shishlak. shashlik. Shishlak. Yeah. yeah um, lamb chicken. There's a lot of chicken. Yep. And... I feel like that's mainly it. Maybe do they have beef? In the North Caucasus, it's primarily lamb. Lamb. Yeah, and then chicken. Yeah, this is, we are in, you know, in America, it's grilling out season right now. It's the summer. So Memorial Day, July 4th, Labor Day. So it's shashlik season here. I did shashlik five times in May. (laughs) Calculate it, that's 30 hours of shashlik. It was really like five times in three weeks. And I was like ready to fast from from meat for a, a week. I mean, I was <laughs> I gained a lot of weight that month. But yeah, this is shashlik season. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's shashlik, listeners. Shish kebabs. The it's the grilling out experience. And if you if you come here to see us in the North Caucasus, we would love to do shashlik with you. What's that fat that we used in between the potatoes? Sala. Sala. Man, this one guy had this like chunk of seasoned fat and he's cut these half yeah. inch thick slices and it's then fat. put them back and forth. So this, he, that was pork. Yep. Yeah. So that guy was not Muslim and nope. he, he was, was fine. That. He, yep. So you have a small potato and then a slab of pig fat alternated on this long skewer. Excuse yeah. my salivating. Let me just say it was tasty. And uh, I'll tell a quick story here, then we'll move on. Um, I was in Ingushetia with uh, some friends in May, and we were visiting, uh, we mentioned this, but they have these beautiful ancient towers there. And I was in the, I was walking around the middle of the biggest tower complex there, there, and I ran into this, this local guy from Ingushetia. And when he found out that I was American, he couldn't believe it. He was so excited. He was like, look, you got my friends and I are making shashlik right now. Oh, you got to come at least get a plate of shashlik. So he invited me down. There was a river kind of at the bottom of that valley. And it was probably a five-minute walk down, went down there. All his buddies were there. There were six guys. And they had, I mean, it was a feast. You could tell, <laughs> you could tell they'd been, been there all day. And in Ingushetia, they specifically... They will broil the shashlik in big pots, big vats. Huh. Um, so if you can imagine like literally 12 hands piling meat on a plate for me, that's what it was like. I they, will take that. It was great. People are really generous with their shashlik. Oh, like yeah. If you happen to come, come upon some people that you don't need to do shashlik, of course they're going to offer it to you. That was a really cool experience I had. Makes me want to wander around the woods a bit more these days. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's shashlik. So listeners, that's number one. Shashlik is big all over Russia, but 
it really, it's huge, huge, huge in the Caucasus. Um, and this is a primary way that people spend time, especially in the warmer months with their f- friends and family as they go out in nature, grill meat, have that experience together, hang out. All right, so we're going to keep going. This is, we're cramming a lot of content here, literally quote unquote meat into this podcast. Hey now. <laughs> what have you. Uh, so shashlik is the first big national cuisine or food of the Caucasus and of Russia. The second, do you have any guesses? Did I write it? The second food, I would say like dumplings. Pelmini maybe. Yeah. That's a very Russian food. Monty. We're going to talk about chai. Now, I'm just going to jump in here. When yes. you say chai, many yes. of us think of a kind of a latte or a certain flavor. We're talking about the real thing. Hot tea. So chai means tea. Hot tea, that's right. Pretty much everywhere in the world except for the US. Yeah. Yeah, so. It's not like just cardamom flavor. It's any tea is chai. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. And okay. I'm assuming listeners, you probably have this association with Russia, but people drink hot tea here or chai all the time. And I, let me read this uh I've got another kind of quote here from the internet. Um, by the way, listeners, I found some really good, I found a really good shashlik recipe online and I found two really good links we're going to have in the show notes that kind of talk to you more about the place of shashlik and chai and Russian and Caucasus culture. Uh, so let me read this to you. This I'm is definitely a really good out. intro. Many think of vodka as the quintessential Russian drink, but it's actually hot tea that defines Russian culture. In fact, Russians are obsessed with tea. As a nation, they drink a whopping 180,000 tons of tea per year. (laughs) For many Russians, tea is more than just a drink. It's a lifestyle. And unlike other cultures where tea drinking is all about the tea, in Russia, tea drinking is usually a social event. Tea drinking follows nearly every meal. And in some cases, tea is the meal paired with a gingerbread scone or other dessert or sweets. But above all, having a cup of tea is a time-honored pastime that's shared with friends and lasts many, many hours. That is so true. That is so true. It's just really something. And I really like what it said about the, like if you get into something in the U.S. like tea or coffee, you're into the product. You know, the process and the quality and how it's made and so on and so forth. And there may be social things attached to that, certainly going out for coffee. But for here, I would that really rings true. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this, I found this as I was researching this. There's this thing called Russian tea culture. That's oh. what they call it RTC. RTC, <laughs> Russian tea culture. But it's true. Like, it is so, and I, I do want to agree with what it says here. Like, a lot of Westerners associate vodka with Russia, but really the, the national drink of Russia is hot tea. Okay. I mean, it's I've, not even close. I've been here for 10 months, and I just want to say I have not personally encountered vodka. At all, uh-huh. in any social context, in any dining context. Huh. I mean, it's in menus and in the stores. Yeah. I'll introduce like, you to some of my friends. No, I know. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it part is that I'm like speak caveman Russian, and so people avoid me. But, um, but I just want to point that out. Vodka, you know, notwithstanding the thing, like personally, it just hasn't come up much. But tea, every time I've met a new every person, time, literally. I mean, I, let me can I tell you a few stories. Yeah. Okay. Stories are great. Uh, stories are great. So. In the fall, we're hanging up my we. By we, I mean my wife is hanging up the laundry. And in our in our apartment, we have laundry lines attached to the outside of our balcony windows. So balcony is an enclosed little balcony porch. Yes, and there so they extend out from the building and ah 
hit the mic. And <laughs> my arm gesticulation. <laughs> Eli is very gesticulative right now. Gesticulatory person. <laughs> and so, and you lean out your window, you know, it's, and, and you clip onto these lines. That so are, in Russia, in apart, all apartment buildings, almost all have balconies and then these clotheslines right yeah. outside the balcony. And so we learned, you know, we need strong clips so they don't blow away and definitely things blew away. And anyway, she dropped, my wife accidentally dropped a pillowcase and of course it goes on the lines directly below us. Lucky for you, it was just a pillowcase. <laughs> my unmentionables. There, so there's I, a pair of women's underwear hanging on the satellite dish right outside our, <laughs> our balcony right now. <laughs> True story. Case in point. So I got to go downstairs and I meet our neighbors and it's this Caucasus fella. He's a ball car guy. And I, this is like two months in a month. I don't speak. I mean, I don't speak. Yeah. Any. And <laughs> almost without a pause, he opens the door. I was like, my, we dropped. I mean, yeah, I like looked up the verbs and, and he immediately just ushers me in. So I come in. It wasn't really an invitation. It was like a statement. In you here. come in and he takes me into his kitchen, sits me down. We get the pillowcase and then, then there's tea immediate. I mean, he didn't, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like, it was just what he was doing. Then he fed That's me also amazing. fresh baked bread that happened to be coming out of the oven that moment what? and fresh it, cheese like from the mountains. It. It's like he planned it. It's like he planned it. So, uh, and then the second one, um, can, can I just, let me pause. Okay. Right there. No, go ahead. That almost would never happen in America. Partly because we don't have clotheslines outside <laughs> of our window. That's true. But like, <laughs> You would get your pillowcase and be out. You would apologize and be out. Totally. I mean, that's that's incredible. That and that is the norm here. That's absolutely normal. Totally norm. And yeah. the other one was the 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 hour the moment we arrived at our apartment and our landlord met us. Our new landlord went upstairs and they were just fixing one thing. You, so when you say you arrived, you just got here to the country from the airport. Yes. Drove in the van to our apartment, sight unseen, and we go to the apartment and our next door neighbor who has a door right next to our door, open the door as we're there. And because there's a moment of delay, he brings us in and it's tea. It's hot tea and wow. candy wow. and bread. And then, uh, uh, dried salted fish, but that is not normally part of the tea experience. <laughs> That's awesome. Those are great stories. You're seeing here. It's not just you drinking something. It's yeah. not the act of drinking tea. It's this social experience, just like Shashlik. Um, and really, chai is a year-round experience. Obviously, you know that Russia is cold a lot of the year, uh, and so especially in the winter months. But, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's 95 degrees outside. People are drinking chai. In fact, yesterday, our, our nanny, who is Russian, came over, and she had a summer dress on and asked for, and it was 95, and asked for hot tea. It was Monday. Asked for hot tea. I was like, you know, we have a lot of ice in the fridge. And she's like, no, 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 I, I can't drink iced water in the, in the <laughs> summer. And I just let it go. So, of course, that's fine. Want something that's, how hot is hot tea? How hot is boiling water? 212 degrees. Want something that's 212 degrees? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's awesome. Yeah, so chai is the natural national drink here, and it really is the national social experience here. Um, so let's, we're going to just, Hit a couple quick points here. And we're just going to tell some more stories. Can I just stories ask, are great. Does does chai happen at Shashlik? Absolutely. How does it happen if you're out in the woods? People bring it in a thermos. We're going to get to this, but okay. I mean that's part of what you. I as an American have never thought to bring chai to Shashlik. It's always there though because I do it with local Caucasus people, and they bring it. Can we talk about the samovar sometime? Samovar is going to be talked about. Okay. Yes. Go. Okay. 
Yeah. Just so just to remind our I feel listeners, like we're both ahead of each other. No, Andrew. Andrew writes the content. Yes. And gives me basic notes and a terrible outline. So Very all the things notes. that I'm anticipating are not cheesy setups. Yes. They are no. brilliance <laughs> coming we're, through. We're starting to read each other's minds. <laughs> okay. So Chai first was introduced to Russia in 1638, 17th century. Tsar Age Nic- of exploration. Yes. Yeah, Tsar Nicholas I was beginning trading with the Mongols, mm-hmm. and a Mongolian ruler as a gift gave him a lot of tea. Wow. And it took a while to really catch on, but that's kind of the origin of, of chai in Russia. I mean, that just strikes me as so recent in history. I mean, like there wasn't tea before that. Yeah. Well, not in Russia anyways. Not in Russia. Yeah, that's right. So 80% of Russians, and that includes Caucasus people, drink chai every day. Think about that. 80%. I mean, if you take out water, I mean, water is, water is the, what you need to survive on. But like 80% of people in, in this country do the same thing every day. But do you know what? That makes a lot of historical sense. Yeah. It's the same reason why you think about you know, monks or in Germany drinking beer. Um, so in our modern American mindset, water is a staple because it can be. It's clean. Yes, out of every tap, huh. almost in the country, and it's ubiquitous. It's available, but before you know modern plumbing and all this stuff, water was not reliable. And so, oh, if you have point. tea, you've boiled it. Yeah, it's safer. If you have beer, you fermented it. It's safer. And so, uh. you have these drinks that were established in cultures because they had to be. And that makes a lot of sense that that is carried forward. You know, our culture is so young, and you know, we don't have that as deeply. That's so interesting. You just, you know, you you just add things to to this show. Eli. The flavor I never could bring, such as the word ubiquitous. I'm glad you <laughs> clarified that means it available because I wouldn't have known what that meant. That's right, ubiquitous. In fact, yes. we had a friend in college who we described as ubiquitous because he seemed always to be there. That was not the most positive thing. That guy, yeah, he's probably making a lot of money today. Okay, we're going to teach you two Russian words that are a part of the the chai experience here. The first is samovar. 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 I did not know that was coming, Andrew. Yeah. I literally didn't. And this is like the kind of quintessential Russian touristy thing that people may try to buy. It kind of represents chai here, but it's an old tea-making device, basically. That's it. That's just what it is. You boil the tea in it, and uh, you honestly don't really see it that much anymore. I mean, it's just very much a part of kind of Russian folklore and so tradition. how does it work i've never i don't think i've ever actually had chai out of a sum of water okay but i've seen one working you and the ones i've seen they have a chimney okay i mean they, you literally it's so it's a big cylindrical urn kind of with handles and some Good. decoration yes. and then it gets narrow at the bottom like a vase and you like there's the tab at the bottom and, that and there's and there's a spigot but you literally spigot. light a fire in the bottom part, uh-huh. the, either a coal or wood fire. Yeah. Or it has to be coals by then. Yeah, and and then and so you. I, I mean, and this is just from inferring. I've never, but and I'm curious to see exactly how it works because you don't want to like burn yourself. Da da da. But it contains. It's like it's like a camping stove before isobutane. You know, you take those little stoves uh, and you put yeah. like a aluminum sleeve around it, and and you put your narrow little pot on top, and you light your tiny little fire, yes. right? Yeah. And that little tubby, it's very much like that. Huh. 
it's shockingly like that. Yeah. I'm wow. making so many connections. Maybe Americans stole the butane. I'm sure we did. Idea. From the from, samovar. From the Russian samovar. Yeah. So anyways, that's samovar. That's one. You've probably seen a picture of that. Let's make sure in the show notes we include like a link to I'll write it right a, now. a picture of a samovar. And then the second word is zavarka. 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 It means um, that's the process most Russians make tea with. And probably if if you've ever made tea before that didn't involve just dropping a tea packet in a cup of hot water. You've done zavarka. Yeah, basically. I've never heard this word. Yeah, this is the process of in a tea kettle, you've got the tea leaves down there in the bottom. uh You pour the hot water, just a little bit of hot water down there and you just let it steep. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then once it's steeped, you pour a little bit into each person's cup and then add hot water to the cup. No, see, I've never experienced that. Oh yeah. That's like at a restaurant. Yeah. That's that tea that. So it's like a concentrate. Yeah. It's a concentrate. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's how a lot of times, especially often it'll be older people who will go to more expense and effort to do that for you. Interesting. Yeah. It's better quality, much better quality than just the packet. So it sounds like, I wonder, you know, this is an aside, but I wonder how like Russian tea, I think of tea in England, you know, British culture. I wonder how those tea cultures, if they, if there was much commerce between them or, or exchange or if huh. they sort of developed side by side, oh, you know, it, that, so if anyone out there knows anything about that, write us. If you've written a PhD about yeah, seriously. It's a, I'll just throw it out, our, our email address, podcast at caucustalk.com. Write us, let us know if you know more about this. Certainly someone knows more about all of these things than us, but I'd be interested to hear. Yeah. So what are our words again? Some of our. And zavarka. Zavarka. Now, yeah. var is in the middle of zavarka. Is that related to samo var? Yeah, varit. Varit means? It's like you boil. You boil it. It's boil, right? Yep. You got it. Good job. I did his not Russians know that. come a long way since that pillowcase dropped uh, into good, his, his uh, neighbor's teachers. balcony. You find the root yeah. word. Okay, so so to clarify, listeners, you have chai almost after every single meal, and any time you're visiting somebody or you have a guest over, you have chai. No question about it. You have tea, you have snacks, maybe fruit, but usually it's some kind of sweets that go with the chai. Yeah, and so and. At that sitting, often local people, Caucasus people, will have multiple cups with multiple scoops of sugar in there. Oh, man. So probably the, the average Caucasus person has four to five cups of tea a day. Oh, maybe that's average. You think so? Yeah. Wow. Maybe less. That would be, yeah, I mean. I, a lot. People drink a, a lot, lot of they tea. They do it a lot, man. Yeah. It's true. And so it's funny for me as an American that's just become so ingrained in kind of my habits here. Like when we have guests, I'm immediately right. go pulling out my tea, right. my snacks. Right. After a meal, if we have guests, we're absolutely pulling that out. In America, it doesn't even cross my mind. I barely even drink chai in America. Yeah, it's like I'm I've programmed myself based on the borderlines or something. I don't know. I've, no, you have. Isn't that funny? It's, well, that's what that's. I mean, this is a whole other topic which I want to cover in the future, but. Be, Becoming an increasingly bicultural person is that uh-huh. is is your your code switching. You know, you're not just doing a, a discrete activity. You are absorbing an entire 
entire way of life and it's getting wired into you so you're when you're in situ when you're in the situation here you start thinking and responding in a way that is just you're not gonna you're not gonna do that back in the u.s and that's such a it's just an amazing experience to be able to feel that you're really that's right imbibing a culture yeah to use a drinking imbibe the culture imbibing tea and you will be more ubiquitous (laughs) okay uh so let me tell two stories here, and then we're going to wrap up soon, listeners. Um, one, I have a good friend, Vanya. He's Russian, and he's basically like our plumber. Uh, he's a good guy. He does really good work, and we've needed him here a decent amount to help us with some things. Plumbing. Every time Vanya comes over, he absolutely must have chai with us before he leaves. Raise your hand if you serve your plumber tea. <laughs> Yes. I mean, think about it, Americans. How weird would that be if your plumber asked you to have chai with you? Even if your plumber... He asks you? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Even if your plumber was your good friend... He comes over to plumb. During the workday, he's not going to stay... Sit down with you for 30 minutes to an hour after He would be a a good-for-nothing loaf if he came over and asked you for tea. Yeah. But like during the workday, he's not going to take that time to do that with you. Vanya every time says, let's have chai. And he, he says something like, to translate it into English, it's like, let's finish this process and have chai. Wow. Because like, and you see, and that's a point I want to make, like, it's more than just, it's not just like a transaction. It's, a, it's an experience. So he, he's not some guy who just like, wants to sit down and drink something. He's saying in order for this transaction to be whole, to be a good, for me to be like a good plumber basically, yeah. and to, which is to maintain this relationship. If we don't have tea, there's going to be some kind of abrogation of the, or not. That's yeah. Not the, maybe what, not, I mean, maybe not necessarily, but the relationship it's, I think it's probably unique because we're friends, but uh, huh. I think there's a a lot to say about that. Yeah. That right. it's and let me say we have another guy who's done some plumbing work for us, not friends with him. Somebody gave me his number. He does good work. His name's Sasha. He's you Russian. Tea? But I've had tea with him too. There you go. Now I, I invited him to do that. Sure. But still, like he said absolutely, and we sat and talked and had All it. All right. I need some advice. And I this is what do you have the experience when you offer someone something and they decline? I don't know what to do with the with the with nose because uh, I don't know if they're treating me they're like yeah you're an American I'm going to treat you differently because uh, or if it's a polite thing am I supposed to do like three strikes until until the tea I've I've heard that that you have to ask at least three times and because sometimes they have to let say, you ask three times before they say yes but oh yeah I feel like we need to like learn more about that Be, yeah we have to learn because there's nothing as as awkward for me as an American than to impose hospitality on someone and be like, no, sit down and drink tea. And I don't know if, you know, maybe it's like you're really imposing. So that's something I want to learn about. Yeah. And there's no, I know there's not a fixed rule, but. But in general, I I think the principle is that I've definitely learned is as the host, you want to always be willing to offer and say, you can stay here longer and I want to have you here. Right. And the guest can choose what to do with that. Okay. That's that's um, good. So, and then the second story. So that's my plumbing story with Vanya. My <laughs> second story. I have a good friend. He's Balkar. His name's Musa, um, which in English is Moses. Um, but uh, Musa, he loves America. 
Like he's always telling me he wants to move to America. Bless his heart. Yeah. And, you know, like you kind of, you hear that often from people like, oh man, like, you know, that's the promised land, blah, blah, blah. Like American dream, make lots of money, all that stuff. Yeah. But so Musa and I were having chai one night with some friends and I said, hey, you know, Musa, we don't do this in America. <laughs> and he was like, you don't do what? I said, we don't sit and have chai with our friends. And this look of shock and disgust came over his face. And he just looked at me and said, I just lost my desire to move there. Oh my God. It was so funny. So funny. But like, understand this listeners. This is like, chai is like the central social activity in, in Russia and in the Caucasus. And it's really cool. I like it because think about it. I mean, Musa is 21. He's like a strapping manly man, young yeah. guy, you know, and like his favorite thing to do with his friends is drink chai. Wow. It really shows the value of relationship and friendship. Yeah. People are happy to sit at a table for two hours and just talk. And I just want to, I mean, I do want to, you didn't, it sounds, you didn't come around and back that up with, well, we do have other ways of showing love and friendship. It's not like there is no friendship in America. And that wasn't your point. Yeah, but of course, you were of using course. this particular cultural handle to, sh- to illustrate something. Yeah, of course in America, you know, you're like... But our value of relationships is lower. It just is. Yeah, like we hang out with our friends and we like to do stuff more together. Um, but like specifically the, the chai piece yeah. I was focusing on. Yeah, Definitely, yeah. And it, is, it, it reveals something. That's what's exciting. It's not... We should be more like them necessarily. Maybe there's things to learn, but just to see the incredible differences around something so small. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, shashlik and chai, that is like at the center of not just food here, really the social experience, I would say, in the North Caucasus. And that's something that if you visited, we could do together. I mean, you know, I mean, our friends, would, family, whoever. It would be done lots of times. Yeah, you'd yeah. come and um, you can have that. It would not be, like as a visitor, that would be a very appropriate thing to seek out and someone would show you. Absolutely. They would want to show you that yeah. part of their culture. Yeah. Well, it's getting close to lunchtime. Man, oh, I'm talk. Let's, can we get some tea after this? I think I? we need some. Okay. We need a refill. Hey, so listeners, we're going to wrap this episode up, but yeah, National Cuisine, Shashlik, chai, but really more like, it's kind of like the heartbeat almost of the social experience here. So I uh, hope you enjoyed it, listeners. Um, we're going to have some links, some really interesting links for you in the show notes. I'm going to have a shashlik recipe for you on there. I will find a link to a great fufu recipe for those who foo-foo. are interested. <laughs> Love that. Um yeah, if you have questions, uh, you want to add anything to this discussion, please email email us at podcast at caucustalk.com. That's C-A-U-C-A-S talk.com. And yeah, iTunes reviews. We please. value them greatly. Thanks for listening. Again, this is the Caucus Talk Podcast, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. We will have shashlik and tea with you when you get here.